So uh, we are continuing, as Ryan said, our sermon series through Romans chapter 8. And the name of this series, which you may or may not know, is All That We Are. So we're thinking about what does life in the spirit look like and what is our identity? So as it's the summer, some of us have been dipping in and out of the, the sermon series. So I'm going to get us up to speed and see how fast I can summarize all of Romans up to this point this morning. So let's have a look and think about how Romans 1 to 7 lays out the gospel. Everything that has been done in saving us from the condemnation of our sin. If you remember that Romans 8 verse 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an incredible verse that starts off Romans chapter 8, and let's see how we get up to that point. So I've got four points to summarize all of Romans up to this point. So first of all, that all people, everyone, has fallen short of the glory of God. So from Romans chapter 3, it says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. No one does good, not even one. And the wages, the just payment... For this, for this sin, for turning away from God, is death. And Romans 5 then explains that death spreads and reigns because of sin. That we're cut off from God because we have all hated him and turned away from him, our creator. But point two, Jesus is different. Jesus is the only one in all of history who lived without sin. He lived the perfect life, and yet he gave up his life for us. Even though he, out of everyone in history, didn't deserve to die, he took on himself all of our brokenness, rebelliousness, hatred, and sin. Romans 5 puts it like this. While we were enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. This is the gospel. And then point three. This reconciliation is freely available. It is for everyone who believes. Everyone who believes and relies on Jesus and puts their faith on him as a perfect sacrifice is reconciled. Again, Romans 5 says it like this. We have been justified. That is made right with God. We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then point four, by the power of the Holy Spirit, those who have died with Christ have a new life. And Romans 6 says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So four points. Everyone has fallen short. Jesus died for us. We can be reconciled through faith in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit gives us a new life. How was that for summarizing all of Romans up to that point? So then that brings us up to Romans chapter 7, which describes a struggle between the flesh, our sinful nature, and a desire to follow God and pursue holiness. So as we come into Romans chapter 8 then, Paul is painting a picture for us of what a redeemed life in the Holy Spirit looks like compared to our previous life. 
in the flesh. Our aim then in this summer period is week by week to look at a new facet of this life in the spirit of Romans chapter 8 and ask as a church, who are we? What are we about? How does God see us? We are seeing all that we are. So last week, Matt showed us that this new life is marked by a real, sure, solid foundation of hope. A hope for the future and a hope even in and through life struggles and pain. And this week, what we're going to see is that we can change. That the life of a Christian, as we live in this hopefully expectant way that Matt unpacked, is not just about hunkering down, weathering life storms and just getting through until our eternal hope at the end. It's not just about making it through. God intends for us to be living, growing, responding. So we're going to take a look at what this spirit-filled life looks like. So let's read together Romans chapter 8. This morning we're looking at verses 26 to 30. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, for the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the hope that we have, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you have provided a way for reconciliation to you, that we can be made right with you, and we can draw close to you and call you Father. Jesus, we praise you for your love for us, that you laid down your life even though you did nothing wrong, that you took our sin and our shame and our brokenness and that you dealt with it, that you took the punishment we deserve on that cross. Holy Spirit, thank you that you live in us, that you've created new life in us. Thank you that you intercede for us and help us in our weakness. Thank you that you work in us to change us and make us like Jesus. This morning, Holy Spirit, would you be at work in every one of us. Help us to love Jesus more. And as we behold him this morning, would we become more like him. In Jesus' name. Amen. So as we read these verses, chances are if you know your Bible, you know these verses. I reckon these verses are kind of like coffee cup verses. You go into a Christian bookshop, you'll see them plastered on everything. And as, for a church like ours, these are precious truths. 
But these verses open up a lot of theology and a lot of debate between churches, and we might wholeheartedly jump into that. We would probably love to do that, to dwell on the nature of salvation, to ask what exactly predestination is, but we don't really have time this morning for that. So I'm going to get straight to the point. The main thing to take away from this passage is that God is in control. Let's start at the end by looking at verse 30 in our passage. It says, to those whom he predestined, he also called. And to keep it simple, this means that God chose those who are his before the universe was even created. And that's mind-blowing, definitely. And remember that God is God. He is vastly beyond our understanding. But when it says here that God called his people, What is this call like, exactly? Well, this call is like Jesus calling Lazarus out of the tomb. So Lazarus was dead, right? What part did he play in his resurrection? He couldn't choose whether to be raised or not. He couldn't ask for it. He couldn't stretch his hand out for it. He was dead. So in the same way, the only thing we bring to our salvation is our sin and our need for a saviour. The Bible describes our spiritual state like this. Remember I read from Romans chapter 3 earlier that none is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks God. And Paul calls this state being dead. That's how he calls it. And that's the truth. None of us would look to God left to our own devices. But God comes to look for us. But Jesus is like a shepherd who leaves the 99 to come and look for the one. He said himself that he came to seek and save the lost. So it is really good news that God is in control. Even though we wouldn't look to God, he looks for us to rescue. And he rescues because when he calls those who are his, it is an effectual call. It's not a suggestion. It's not the same as if right now, if I, if I tell you to believe in Jesus to be saved, that's a suggestion. You may or may not listen to me. But this call is different. God has demonstrated, hasn't he, that he calls things into existence from nothing. He created everything around us from nothing. Creation is a defining attribute of who God is. It says in verse 30, Those whom he called, he also justified. So these people that God foreknew and predestined, he also justified. Remember, that word just means to be made right with God. But we know that we've been justified by faith. So how it works is, it's a work of the Holy Spirit that we are brought to spiritual life that we were blind and now we can see. And that is the only way that we will see and love Jesus. It's the only way that it's possible to have faith if the Spirit opens our eyes, if the Spirit creates out of nothing. So God predestines his people before creation. He has given his Son as a substitute to save his people 
and there is a certain future for us. And this future is so certain that Paul writes here in verse 30 that those whom he justified, he also glorified. In our union with Christ, the process has started of glorification, but is by no means yet completed. For now, we we struggle against the flesh, don't we? And there is still weakness. But the day of glorification, that just means when Jesus comes back and we have new bodies like his and we will see him and be like him. But for now, for now the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Let's go back up to verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. In the here and now before that final day, that our hope is set on, we wait. We wait in a creation subjected to futility. And this life prompts a lot of groaning, doesn't it? It's tough. Struggling against brokenness, difficulty, sickness, and on and on and on. It's the summer break, right? But for some of us, we are tired that this life is tough. But the Spirit helps us. Even though we wouldn't choose Jesus by ourselves, and we don't even know when we come to God what to pray for and what to ask for, but the Holy Spirit lives in those who belong to God. He helps us. He gives us new life and a new heart to desire God. And even though in our weakness we don't know how to pray, in the face of our sin and the brokenness of the world, he helps us. He intercedes on our behalf. He shapes our prayers into that kind of longing for the new creation, that longing for Jesus to be revealed. God is in control of our weakness. So then the Spirit intercedes according to the will of God. When we pray, we're limited. We don't know on a grand scale what's going on. We don't know what to pray, and we don't know the will of God in circumstances. We don't know the future at all, do we? So as we come to God in prayer, we can just come freely. Because even if we ask for the wrong things, or we don't know where to start, the Spirit is in us connecting us to the Father in the right way and shaping our heart's intentions along this lines of groaning for the glory of Jesus to be revealed. So God is in control of our prayers. And here we go, Romans 8:28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is one of the greatest, furthest reaching promises that God gives us in his word, that all things, all things work together for good. Do you love Jesus? We will see and love Jesus if we're brought from death to life. And for those who have been predestined called, justified, God gives this amazing promise. 
And why can those who believe in Christ be assured that all things work together for good? Well, God has always set his hand on his people to do good for them. Starting before the world was created, he has been working out his plan of salvation for all of history. And he has demonstrated his love and good purpose towards us by giving us his son. And he will work good for his people through to the end, to the day of Christ's return. God is the one who is in control. And that should be incredibly comforting because we know who he is. We know that he is good, he is faithful, he is trustworthy. And people put this verse, Romans 8.28, on coffee cups, I think, because it sounds good. I mean, who doesn't want good? But let's think carefully about this verse. What is the good? What is the purpose that God calls us to? Because we might be tempted to think that the good is whatever we would call good. Health is good, money is good, relationships are good, having a particular job is good, having a particular type of family is good, or maybe it's an opportunity. Have you heard another coffee cup phrase? When God closes one door, he opens another. Anyone heard that one? But this verse doesn't promise any of that. It says, all things work together for good. All things, a closed door, a closed opportunity, sickness, pain, loss of your job, your life not looking like you expected. In God's hands, all these things work together for good because all things work together for good. And we actually are told exactly what is the good that God works in his people. Look down to verse 29. These same people, those who are foreknown, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So the good that God works for us is not what we might choose. And it is guaranteed to be hard. But this is the promise that all things work together for good. All things work together to make us more like Jesus. This is God's purpose in his people. That means you might not be able to see it right now. In fact, we can rarely see what God is doing through our circumstances while we're in the middle of them. But we have the promise that God works all things together for good, for your transformation into the likeness of Jesus. That everything, good or bad, is not wasted by God. It's not a surprise to God. God is in control. And he doesn't cause evil. But he will weave even the bad things in your life together for good. And remember that we established from the rest of the passage very clearly that God is in control of your salvation and he's in control of your life. It means the best things in your life, the worst things in your life, the things that are the most difficult, the things that are the most frustrating, or even the things that you just don't really think all that much about, all of them are used by God to shape you. 
And don't think that this change just happens to us as some kind of unknowable force that just happens. It's not like that. We have the Holy Spirit with us, and he is the one changing us. He is the one helping us in our weakness. We don't know what to choose. We don't know what to pray. We don't know what the best best path is to take or how things will work out. But don't worry. The Spirit is there with us through every moment of it. He's interceding for us according to the will of God. God is in control. He might work things out in a way that might not immediately make sense to us, but we have a guarantee that they are for our good. And what exactly will this change look like? Well, the more we change to be like Jesus, the more we will rely on God. Jesus lived dependent on the Father, prioritizing seeking him in prayer, prioritizing fellowship with him. And Paul models it for us in 2 Corinthians. He writes this, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. It's often when things are difficult and we reach the end of ourselves, when we feel burdened beyond what we can bear, even when we start despairing, in those times, the Spirit works in us. That might be what it takes for us to say, I need Jesus. I have to rely on God, knowing that he is powerful, and it's in him that I have a hope beyond death. And the more we change to be like Jesus, the more we will know his peace, his joy, his love. A life walking according to the Spirit, will look like Galatians 5, those fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And if God is taking you through maybe even years of frustration, then he might be shaping you to grow in patience. Even though it's hard to feel it, while you're in that place going through it. If God is allowing you to go through a season of depression and despair, he might be planning to use that to grow you in a deeper type of joy that will resist life circumstances. If you're wrestling with a particular sin, perhaps God is using that struggle to strengthen you and grow you in your self-control for the future. And for me, I guess, I'm the sort of person who feels nostalgia a lot. When I think about things that were fun in the past or the way things used to be, I feel really sad that things aren't like that anymore. I don't know if anyone else is the same. I miss the days when I didn't think about what job I was going to do next. I didn't think about what repairs needed doing on the house. I miss when I was a child and the summers felt like they went on forever and I had nothing to do except play outside instead of working like now. Julie and I miss the days before we had Elia when daily life was a whole lot easier. <laughs> we used to be able to sleep in at the weekends. But that's why when I first read Ecclesiastes 7.10, it hit me like a sledgehammer. It says, 
Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. You see, even though the difficulty of life can tempt us to look back on times that were easier, wisdom warns us against this. Even if they were easier, they were not better. Because God has brought you through what you have experienced. And it has been for your good. Just examine yourself. If you are a Christian, you are guaranteed to find growth in Christ-likeness from going through what you've been through. And it should cause us to praise God for the good he has worked in us. That's why when we look back, we shouldn't ask why were those days better, but we should just be thankful for what God has worked in us. So if you look back at verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The purpose and reason that God predestines us to be conformed to the image of his son is so that Jesus would be first among many brothers. God's people are being shaped into the likeness of Jesus now, but the process will never be complete in this life. The purpose of the universe is that there would be a family of people who are conformed to the likeness of the Son physically and spiritually, so that in the end, the Son of God will be the centre of all things and the meaning of creation. By God working in us by his Spirit, to make us more like Jesus, the glory of Jesus is multiplied in us, which will display Jesus as even more glorious. We who hope in Christ will be to the praise of his glory. That's what Ephesians 1 says. So in closing, our passage today in Romans 8 shows us that God is in control, which is a comfort because he works all things for the good of his people. And the good that God accomplishes is transforming his people to be more like Jesus for his glory and our good. We know that this is what God is doing. But what is it that we're called to do in this process? Do we just sit back and let God do his stuff? In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So this is what we do. We look to Jesus. We gaze into the glory of Jesus. In the Bible, as we meet him in the word, and as we seek his face in prayer. And as we behold him, and as we seek to walk Uh, in the paths that God has assigned to us for this life, as we experience everything that God gives us to go through, the Spirit transforms us to be like him from one degree of glory to another. So as we come to remember Jesus in a moment, through the bread and the wine, take the opportunity to pray with the help of the Spirit that you would know Jesus more and behold him more clearly, and pray that God's will would be done in your life, 
knowing that no matter what he brings you through, it will be for your good. Pray that the Spirit would transform you to be like Jesus and that you would love as he has loved you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that you are in control. Thank you that you have planned to do good for your children from before the world was created. Thank you for sending your son so that we can be reconciled by his broken body and his shed blood that we're coming to remember in a moment. Thank you that our salvation is secure because it is in your hands. And Holy Spirit, thank you for creating new life in us and for transforming us through life circumstances to make us more like Jesus. Please help us in our weakness. Help us as we walk through life to set our minds on our hope and to bear fruit. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your great love for us. We want to know you more and we look forward to the day that you return. Please draw close to us through all that we have to face in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.